welcome to Sage and Spirit, a podcast designed to nourish your mind, body, soul, and spirit. I'm your host, Anna Claire Lottie, and I'm so grateful you're here. In this holistic wellness podcast, I'll be having candid conversations with others, exploring topics such as healing with plants, food as medicine, earth connection, spirituality, conscious entrepreneurship, and so much more. Thank you for being here and sharing in this journey with me. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode two of Sage and Spirit. In today's episode, I'm talking with Sarah Ratza, and she is a certified herbalist and self-taught chocolatier, and we're discussing all things chocolate. So we talk about some of the better known constituents of chocolate, how they affect each person's brain chemistry differently, and how that might even affect how much a person likes chocolate as well. We discuss the bliss molecule, synergistic herbal chocolate combinations, and many more juicy tidbits. A little about Sarah herself, with a bachelor's degree in studio art from Indiana University, Sarah Ratza has found that creating chocolate helps to bridge the gap between her love for the studio and culinary arts. As a board-certified holistic health practitioner and a Western herbalist, it's become a passion to formulate unique flavors using the best beans and ingredients she can find. A former teacher, Sarah sets out to educate the world about this special plant that we know as Theobroma cacao. Sarah's chocolate business, Ratza Chocolate, has a mission to create the best chocolate from the highest quality, sustainably sourced ingredients while honoring the plants, the land, and the people. So I really hope that you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. And there's actually a little bit of um, a time special going on. At the end of the episode, we mentioned Sarah's monthly chocolate subscription. And it just so turns out that we are airing on the 15th of March, and the 15th is actually the cutoff day for subscribing to her monthly chocolate club. So if you happen to listen to this podcast on the actual air date, and you'd like to get in on that, then hop on over to her website at www.ratsachocolate.com, also listed in the show notes, and you can sign up for her monthly chocolate subscription by the 15th. And if you miss it out, for March, then no worries. You can still get on the train for April, join for as little or as long as you like, and test out her amazing chocolate bars. Also, one more note, if you do enjoy this podcast, it would mean so much to me if you were to share it with your friends and family or your coworkers or anybody else that you think might also enjoy the podcast. Leaving a review and a rating really helps me out in getting this podcast out in front of other people and sharing the word. So thank you so much for listening and for sharing the podcast with others. I hope you enjoy today's show. Hey, Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to have you here. And I have to just start off by saying how in love with your chocolates I am. (laughs) They are super amazing. And I've had um, chocolates before that have had, you know, maybe like one or two herbs here and there, but your strawberry Tulsi bar, I know it's a limited edition, but those are literally like two of my very favorite things. Strawberries have 
always been my favorite fruit. And Tulsi is definitely one of my most beloved herbs. I have Tulsi in probably like half of my products. So <laughs> when I saw those two together in like the giant chunks of organic strawberries, I was mm -hmm. essentially in heaven. <laughs> well, and it's funny because I don't know why I've always just connected you with Tulsi. And I think I've always just kind of followed your products and just, I've always kind of seen you as Tulsi. And when I made this bar, literally, and I, I told you that, like, I had to send it to you. Like, there was something about this bar that was calling, you were calling it. <laughs> I had to send it to you. Or it was reaching out for you, either one. But so, yeah. Yes, it I is, think uh, we were meant to be together. Absolutely. <laughs> this strawberry Tulsi bar. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, well, thank you so much. And I mean, and all the other flavors too. I mean, I was just astounded with like nettles and rose and moringa and so before I like go down this whole road of gushing over your chocolates, let's <laughs> tell people what you do. So um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your background and how you got started with chocolate and just where you are with all of that now. All right. Well, it's really, it's kind of an interesting journey of me getting to the chocolate world where I went to school to be a studio artist. And so my journey has always kind of been working with my hands. So I've done everything basically from, I was a graphic artist when I left, when I went to school, I kind of concentrated on becoming a graphic artist, which um, then kind of transition, transitioned into becoming an art teacher. And then when I had my son, I um, lost my father to heart disease. And at the same time, I, as my son was a newborn, I started studying holistic health. So um, I watched the, I think I was in school right after my son was born, the science teacher put on the movie Food, Inc. And I happened to catch the movie and it moved me so, so much that I literally from that day on my diet and my, my whole philosophy of food has changed. So I quit teaching not too long after that to stay at home with my son and my best friend owned an organic coffee shop and she messaged me asking if, if I could help her because she had two employees quit and I was at home with my son who was two at the time and it was kind of that just it was perfect timing for me to be able to get out of my house and have more adult interaction again. Uh, I've always loved working with my hands. I've always loved working with food. And, um, of course I jumped into, you know, like, yes, I'll come and work with you and started learning about coffee. And then I also started learning about essential oils. So I really was introduced to plant medicine through essential oils and working with the, cons the uh, constituents of essential oils and just found them fascinating, started working with raw foods, started incorporating essential oils. We were working with them with our coffees, like into our lattes and, um, doing raw balls that had essential oil into those and like juices and smoothies. And um, so that was my real introduction to plants. It was actually also my introduction to chocolate where I was working with raw chocolate at the time and was doing the like a raw cacao powder and the coconut oil and maple syrup and you would blend it together and make it creamy and then you can pour it into like peanut butter cups or whatever you wanted to make. and 
I just found the process of making chocolate like, wow, this is so much fun. You could take chocolate and like do anything you want with it, really. And it almost worked as like an icing. So I'm like, oh, you can pipe, you could put it in a bag and like pipe with it. And um, when I was in college, I worked in a bakery. So I have a, I have the background working with pastry arts. So um, kind of found that connection there. But then I realized that it's not chocolate. I'm like, this is, you know, working with powder and a coconut oil. So you have to refrigerate it. Where does chocolate come from? And so I started researching and like kind of digging into, I'm like, okay, so chocolate, to make chocolate, you need a paste and you need a butter. Okay, so I would go and I found the paste and I found the butter. Or actually, I think I found butter and putting the powder into butter first. And I'm like, well, this still isn't chocolate because I'm taking a powder to the butter, how, you know, found the paste. And so I worked backwards and I literally started like backpedaling until I finally realized it comes from a bean. And so you roast these beans and... Um, so I ordered my first batch of beans and um, learning about holistic health at the same time, I started doing research on the health benefits of chocolate, started learning about the traditional uh, Mayan chocolate and how uh, I learned that raw chocolate was not necessarily good for digestion and that is good to kill off bacteria through the roasting process. I also learned that um, Roasting is what brings out flavor of chocolate. And it's also um, the energetics piece, which also really connects with me of the tradition of making chocolate and how it's always been roasted. And when we think about chocolate, we think of passion and we think of fire and we think of like all of these things that encompass like the roasting and like heating of chocolate. So I really connected with the, the process of making chocolate. And I actually... Um, at the time when I was learning, I wanted to do it by hand with the traditional matate. And I had a gentleman who worked across the street from us that traveled to Mexico to get, he does um, garden pots and like yard art. And he goes and travels to Mexico to get it. So he came across to get his coffee one day. And I'm like, Dave, here's a picture of what I want. I'm sending this to you. It's called a matate. Go when you go to Mexico, look for this and bring it back to me. I will pay whatever you want to get this to me. So he comes back and he brings me a matate. So I do the research and I'm like, okay, what do I do with this? How do I clean it? And so I um, end up having to grind like corn and rice and, you know, grind it to cure it to make sure none of the stone was going to come off into my chocolate. And as I'm grinding and grinding, I'm finding that these like chips keep coming off of the, the stone. And I'm like, well, this shouldn't happen. Like I'm grinding and grinding and it's not curing. So I look on the internet and it said somewhere else to take it and pressure wash it. So my son and I, he's five at the time, we take it over to the local car wash and we take the pressure washer and here we are like out in this car wash, pressure washing this, this stone grinder. And there's still chips of this coming off. And so I go back to the internet and start researching and digging and digging. And I finally found that in Mexico, particularly, they have uh, a lot of concrete replicas of things like this. So it just kind of hit me. I'm like, oh, okay, it's because this is concrete. And so basically the traditional matates come from a volcanic stone. So when you get an actual like real true matate, it's not going to have pieces of the stone come off. And it's because I got a concrete replica. So 
the gentleman was so nice. He actually bought it back from me because he's like, I have no problem selling this stuff. So I'll buy it back from you. And so my dreams of making chocolate from hand kind of fizzled from there. And so I actually start, I shouldn't say that. So my, my son and I started making chocolate with a hand grinder. So we, when I first started learning about chocolate, most of the things that I found were, you know, like get one of these meat grinders and you just connect it to your countertop and you put the beans in and you just grind it and crank it and um, there's your paste. So that's what we did. And I found um, my, my father-in-law had a, literally an antique grinder in his shed and he brought it out to me and he's like, here, you can use this one. So that's what we started with was an old antique grinder that we just cranked out these beans and just pour, put them in and just ground over and over and over until they became a paste. So my first chocolate was crunchy and um, was actually delicious. And my husband is still mad at me for not making hand ground chocolate anymore. And so we still, we, we went out to our first market, which was a little organic market in Tampa. And my son would come with me and we would go sell our little teeny bars of chocolate and we would sell out every week that we would go. Um, so we saved enough money to where we finally were able to invest in our first machine because we couldn't keep up with just hand grinding this chocolate. And um, so we finally were able to make larger batches of our chocolate and start going out making bigger bars and uh, making different kind of combinations. But the downfall was I was cottage food. So I was working out of my house and we had a, now a grinder that's extremely loud because it's granite rolling on granite. And we'd have to run it for at least 24 hours. So we constantly had this grinder in our house that's loud running. And my husband's a musician. So he definitely had issues of like, do you have to run the grinder tonight? Because <laughs> he'd want to work. And I'm like, no, we could take a break tonight. So we were accumulating boxes, we were accumulating molds. And so, this was years in the making to eventually get to the point where I had a commercial kitchen. And then um, my commercial kitchen closed right before the pandemic hit, hit last year. Not related to the pandemic, luckily. She was just moving on with um, what she was wanting to do. And I had already kind of planned moving into my storefront. And so the transitioning happened at that time to where I finally was able to get into my own kitchen and just be able to do what I want to do. So kind of like a short nutshell of a story. <laughs> I love it. And um, I can see a little bit of your your store right now on our conversation. Yeah. And it looks yeah. super cute. I love the colors. Thank it's, you. It's so funny um, that your whole story with like the grinder and the noise and your husband being a musician, it actually, like I was giggling inside because my husband is a musician too. Mm -hmm. And we kind of have this thing where we're both at home now and, you know, we're trying to figure out, okay, well, you have a zoom call at this time. And then I have a zoom call and, you know, like our house is only yes. so big. Yes. And I pulled out the, uh, I have like one of those nine tray Excalibur dehydrators. Yeah. And I pulled, I pulled that out last season when I was drying some herbs and he was like, how long does that thing have to run? And I was like, well, you know, until it's dry. And he was like, yeah, but how long is that going to be? Because it's really noisy and it's like right across from our bedroom. And he was like, do we, do we have to listen to this all the time? And yeah, so that's it was so definitely, it was, it was daunting, but so, and like, meanwhile, I actually, um, 
when I first started diving into the chocolate world, I also started doing a holistic health practitioner certification program because my goal was really, I wanted to write books about health and nutrition. And I knew that I wanted to get more education and also the letters. I wanted some letters behind my name for whenever I was writing. So I started a program and I was through, I think my final class to get my practitioner certification. And I had hurt my shoulder really bad. And I had done herb walks with Bob Lindy down at Tradition School of Herbal Studies. And, I, and I've known of him for quite some time through also the, the, um, the little co-op or the, the market that I was selling at. And so when I hurt my shoulder, I naturally wanted to go see somebody that was holistic and Bob Lindy like just popped into my head. And so I contacted them, got down to the herb school, saw a practitioner there. And at the same time, it just so happened that I was in my herbalism course for my holistic health practitioner certification. And I noticed that they were doing their Western Herbalism 101. Meanwhile, I was studying more Chinese herbs and really fell in love with Chinese herbalism and Chinese, the path of healing through Chinese medicine and was convinced that I was going to do the Chinese medicine route. So I went to the 101, which you have to do for the Chinese program. I literally had the application in my hand, like I am ready to start the Chinese route. I know I want to do this. I love Chinese medicine. I really, I'm, I'm confident I want to take this class and do this program. And after 101, I was just like, nope, I want to learn Western. I love Western herbs. This is where I need to be. And so it just really kind of like the universe placed me. It like almost like I had to hurt my shoulder to force myself to go down there, to be placed, just to see that 101 and to really push me into that Western program to get me to where I am today. So um, yeah, so I went through the Traditions uh, Foundations program, which really just helped me to, it just forced me to absorb myself more into the Western plant world. And um, is I just can't stop learning. I think that's Actually, the thing that I found the hardest about owning a chocolate shop as an herbalist, I love what I do and I love making chocolate, but I feel like I just don't have enough time to absorb myself into the plans. So I, you know, I don't, I work pretty much six days a week and I don't get in my yard anymore. I, my Mondays, especially now that the weather is nice, like I went out in my yard and just basically laid in my grass and, you know, really just connected with my yard again. I'm like, I'm sorry, plants. <laughs> a lot, so, right? It's just it to, to stay on top. I mean, we have this garden in our home too. And last year was our first year here. And I mean, it's so much work and it's, it's yeah. really a full-time job depending on the size. Of, I mean, it can be, you know, depending on the size of your garden or even if you're just tending a few plants or, yeah. you know, just mowing a yard or whatever else. Um, and it's, it's interesting what you were saying about how you almost felt like you had to have this shoulder injury to lead you to where you are. And I feel like that's the case with so many healers and herbalists and people who get into, you know, this field or into, you know, onto the plant path is like the whole, the story of the wounded healer and, you know, how so many of us are led to learning more about the plants and learning more ways that we can heal ourselves and treat ourselves. Um, 
So it, it's an interesting thread that I find like amongst us herbalists and um, uh, Bob Lindy and Tradition School. I love those guys. They're amazing. And Bob, he's an acupuncturist too, right? Yes. So yes, he's got he the, the Western and the Chinese blend. And, um, you know, Corey Pine, uh, Corey Pine Shane, who I studied with at the Blue Ridge School of Herbal Medicine. He's not an acup- acupuncturist, but he's also very interested in Chinese medicine. And so in our basic training, we had a fair amount of, um, you know, of classes with Chinese medicine also. And I, I find it fascinating. It's very poetic and ancient and, you know, it's a totally different system than what we learn in the Western tradition. Um, But I also love when there's an opportunity to blend them. And I think that that's happening more and more these days where, you know, we can kind of take all these different pieces and modalities and and put them together for a a bigger, you know, truly holistic picture. So I really absolutely. Um, I think there's a connect between the two. I think that a lot of, and luckily through our program, and that's why I was like, I knew I was at the right place because we were learning a lot of the Eastern with the Western. And they really do, like it makes sense because of the energetics piece alone. When you're talking about energetics of plants, you know, Eastern medicine was, it's all about energetics, you know, working with your systems and your body and it completely relates and it makes sense. So it makes sense to learn both of those combined together. So yeah. I agree. I agree. Yeah. I kind of um, blend in a little bit of Ayurveda with my practice as well. And the three together, I mean, they just feel really all encompassing. I really appreciate that about, about being able to, um, you know, just implement everything kind of all together there and and pick from the different traditions and just what a blessing that we, you know, both found ourselves in such a position where we're able to learn these different modalities through one place and, you know, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, also starting off with a coffee shop, coffee and chocolate, I feel like that's always a good combination. Like you can almost never go wrong there. Um, I also think it's really interesting that just working with food, that's very much, you know, part of my story as well. Just, I've always enjoyed cooking and I feel like a lot of what we do with herbal medicine and with plants, it's really just an extension of that. Um, Absolutely. You know, just blending and making formulas and coming up with teas. And so I would imagine that, you know, it's maybe likely the same with your process and with chocolate making and, and everything else. And I love that you started off with this. I've never heard of a matate before, but as you were talking about it, I was like, oh, that's the thing I've seen in videos that talk about chocolate and the Mayan traditions and um, how interesting that you ended up with a concrete replica, I guess, of this ancient tool. And you were (laughs) noticing, I thought that this story was going to end up with like, that's what stone ground chocolate really is. You only have pieces of stones in your chocolate. (laughs) So I'm glad to know that that's not the case. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, But I'd love to hear a little bit more too about what... um, you know, you mentioned a little bit about the energetics of chocolate, and that might be a somewhat new to some of the people listening in. Um, but in herbalism, we talk a lot about energetics, and it's kind of what really sets each person apart from another and also each plant. And so I wonder if you might want to expound on that a little bit and tell us about energetics with chocolate and what you've discovered in that area. So 
It's chocolate is so interesting. So the one thing that I've really found being in the chocolate business, and I guess I should say that my experience, I am not necessarily what you would call a chocoholic. Like people are so just like, what? When I tell them, I'm like, I've never really cared for chocolate. I, as a kid, people would say, would you rather have vanilla or chocolate? And I would always say vanilla. And I think that I've come to find, my mom was the chocoholic in my family. My dad was actually not. My dad also was the person that um, coffee would make him tired and not stimulate his brain. So I think that really what it comes to is chocolate affects people's brains so differently. And I also feel like when I was younger, I just didn't care for what I, sometimes this gets me in trouble. I didn't care for junk chocolate. I always call junk chocolate the chocolate that's not really chocolate. That's basically like your minimum amount of cacao in your, in your candy. And it's made basically just full of junk. So I was always lactose intolerant. I never cared for dairy. And I feel like that is why I didn't care for chocolate. So now that I'm in the business, I find that people who, whose brains respond well to chocolate really love chocolate. It's not, and I don't understand it because my brain doesn't respond that way, but they will literally like, they, they really are passionate about chocolate. So it's interesting because there's, I believe like over 360 chemical constituents in chocolate that are going to affect the brain. So it really is just going to depend on the brain chemistry of that person and whether they connect fully to chocolate and like actual cacao. Um, for myself, what I have really loved about cacao and when I, there are certain chocolates that I like to eat over others. Like, you know, I'll, I love like peanut butter cups and I make a, a raw Snickers bar, which I don't get to very often. It's really time consuming, but I like chocolate with other things. Um, but my favorite part is when I winnow the beans right after roasting, which is when you take the shell off the bean. Um, so I will roast the beans and take the shell off and I'll pop the bean right into my mouth while it's warm. And I think for me, that is the most enjoyable part of chocolate making. So I can, I could use a really good red glass of red wine. And I actually want to do a workshop like this coming up where I just have a group of women together where I roast the beans and we all get fresh batches of warm beans and we can just pe peel them and shell them and pop them in our mouth and wash it down with some red wine. And that is what makes me feel the best. So I think that the, the, the grounding of chocolate also for me, I always, it always makes me feel very grounded. It also, um, chocolate is known to be heart opening. That's why a lot of um, people are doing cacao ceremonies now because of the um, heart opening process of it. So it is, um, I don't wanna say, it is good for helping to support the heart. And um, a lot of people really feel connected to cacao because of this. And um, I also actually really find that it's helpful for women, especially right before their uh, monthly cycle, is because it's super high in magnesium. So I tend to, like if I'm getting a headache, I actually generally reach for cacao nibs 
and just pop a few nibs in my mouth. And it almost always seems to be because of, I feel like for myself, that I'm probably lacking in magnesium or I'm getting tension headaches. And a lot of times cacao will help to ease those symptoms of my headache. So um, like I said, it affects everybody differently, but as a whole, people who love chocolate just really love chocolate. <laughs> It's so interesting how you see that dynamic too. It's funny. My dad actually doesn't like chocolate and my stepmom doesn't either. And I have to like remind myself of this over the years. And I'm like, oh, wait, you don't want to try this. Like you don't even like chocolate. And, yeah. you know, I wouldn't say that I've never considered myself a chocoholic and mm -hmm. I'm kind of like you where I usually, if I'm eating chocolate, I prefer to have it with something like you know, a chocolate dipped strawberry, mm -hmm. or I do love peanut butter cups as well. Your raw Snickers bar sounds amazing. Um, but, but 360 over 360 different constituents that just blows my mind a little bit. And to think about how, you know, maybe it's just hitting different receptors for different people, or maybe different people have heightened receptivity in some way or another. So it really, comes down to our own brain chemistry and our own constitutions and energetics, and then mm. how we interact with chocolate as a plant. So that's fascinating to me. Um, oh, I love that. Yeah, it fascinates me also. I feel like I can't do enough research on cacao. And I feel like as much as I learn about it, I still don't feel like I've really even touched base with it. So I think one of, well, I know one of my goals is to eventually make my way down to Central and South America. And I really just want to learn um, from the indigenous people. I want to learn about their medicine. I want to learn their recipes. And I, I want to sit with like the trees and I want to just learn from the actual plant because we can learn from textbooks and we can learn from just our, our own experiences of eating chocolate or like working with cacao, but I really feel like there's just something special about learning from the people that have been passed down these traditions. Like that's, that's where I want to learn. And that's the message I want to pass along to people, not necessarily like selling almond chocolate bars. I want to be able to pass on this education of like what chocolate really is. Yeah. Like really going deeper with it. And I'm mm -hmm. sure that any of those kinds of trips would be amazing. I mean, you could eventually like lead chocolate retreats. I mean, yeah. want to sign yeah. up for that. Maybe, That's maybe not our dads, but you know, yes. <laughs> other yes. people. but if it's, you know, if there's like travel involved and you can learn, then, you know, I think that that Absolutely. would probably be <laughs> definitely a selling point. Um, also just talking about your process and the winnowing and taking the shell off and eating a warm bean, just like straight from that process. I have never had that experience, but it sounds absolutely amazing. And if you do start one of these ladies nights, like you're talking about with these warm beans and red wine, please sign me up. I will be at the top of that list. Um, and if I have to come down to Florida to do it, you know, then I will, or maybe we can get a virtual something or other going. Yeah. Fantastic. Absolutely. What a good way to spend a night and to be in community together. Absolutely. Well, and it's interesting that that just kind of popped my into my mind. This was a few years ago where one night I, and normally I have a machine that will take the shell off of my beans and I, I'll go through like my process in a moment. So one night I was hand winnowing and sometimes I hand winnow because your beans come out a lot cleaner, obviously, than if they're running through a machine. And so I was just winnowing by hand one night and I was in my house all alone. I think my son was sleeping and my husband was out. And 
I was just peeling the shells off and I'm like, man, I feel like this is kind of like a quilting circle time. Like it's a type of thing where I want my girlfriends here with me and I want us all to be experiencing the same thing with me. And I like, that's where that idea popped up. Like just wanting that communal, like sitting at a table and everybody like peeling these shells and sipping their wine and just experiencing that warm cacao bean. It's so good. Oh my gosh. It sounds amazing. And just what a beautiful way to experience the plant and like the magic that comes from it. And you mentioned cacao ceremony and that's almost like just a different spin on it, right? Like we can do ceremony in any fashion or form that we can yes. up essentially. Yeah. And so on that note, I wonder, have you ever, um, been in a cacao ceremony or led a cacao ceremony or had any experience in that regard? So I actually have not. And I'm very, I'm kind of weird in that aspect. Um, I, I definitely like if I ever were to feel led to lead a ceremony like that, I feel like it would be the, the time of my life where I would be asked by an indigenous person to be trained and to share that knowledge. I don't feel like, um, I, I don't feel like I have the right to be able to lead that. Um, I haven't, we do have people that lead ceremonies around here, but it's just kind of that same thing. I don't really know what this person knows. I don't know who they've been trained by. Um, and so I just kind of let them do their thing. And that's great if they're sharing that and people are responding well to it because they're sharing what knowledge that they have. Um, my, I guess my ceremonial aspect is teaching the knowledge that I have. So I feel that anybody that's sharing chocolate is kind of ceremonial, almost like if you're drinking coffee together. You know, if you have a group of people sitting around having a cup of coffee, I think that's just as special. And eventually I also want to do, um, I make uh, herbal chocolate teas and I really want to get groups of people together to share in just chocolate and tea. And I want to just sit around and have conversation. And so essentially it is kind of ceremonial, but it is definitely not something that I'm going to say is a cacao ceremony by any means. Um, I make chocolate that technically, I don't want to say it would be ceremonial. And I always question like, if you're getting chocolate, ceremonial chocolate coming from Central and South America, that's coming from places that are actually growing their own beans. Um, I could see where that would be considered ceremonial, but sometimes I see companies that are ser selling ceremonial chocolate, which is literally just cacao paste, where you're taking the beans and grinding it and it's not tempered. It's coming right off a machine without any sugar on it. And I always wonder how it's ceremonial, like how, you know, like, okay, this is just like really good beans. Like I get it. It's organic. It's coming from like mine come from Belize. Um, and there's no certification to say like, I'm selling cer ceremonial chocolate. So I think too, that's something that we have to be careful for are the buzzwords when it comes to chocolate and where our chocolate is coming from and not be, I don't want to say ripped off, like for like these buzzwords of what would be ceremonial. Um, but to just be cautious of that and just knowing that where your beans are coming from, that they're coming from um, fair trade, that they're um, really, I mean, these really small farms are the ones that are needing help right now. And um, 
my company that I go through actually works with small farmers in Central and South America. They're all certified organic. Um, even though I don't believe farms necessarily need to be certified organic because I do believe a lot of these small farms are still sustainable and doing organic practices. Um, they just can't afford the organic certification. But for what I do, and I have a storefront and I'm doing distribution, unfortunately, people want to feel that safety of the organic symbol. So we do have to just, like any other product, we just have to do our research and know where our chocolate is coming from. Yeah, I think that's such a good point. And especially in this day and age where there are so many buzzwords, and I think a lot more people are really starting to want to source better. And so, you know, the first thing they might see is all natural or organically grown. And, you know, these are usually kind of how people make their decisions, right? But sometimes we don't always know the full story behind a process or behind a company. And so I think that's a really good point that you make that, you know, just because somebody says it's ceremonial, well, what does that really mean? Okay you know, to that note, we have to, we have to dig around a little bit and we have to do our research. And it's interesting because I have sat in cacao ceremony before here in Asheville, as you can imagine, that's the sort of thing that happens, yes. in Asheville, um, or at least it did, you know, when we were still gathering in, in bigger groups and it's always been a really nice heart opening experience for me. And I, remember some of the chocolate that we had come across was considered ceremonial grade chocolate. And I do know that the person that I was working with at the time was, um, I think had maybe met these people, I think had visited where the cacao is grown, had tasted the fruit and the pulp right off the tree and that sort of thing. And what they, I, I, the way that I remember it is what they were considering to be ceremonial was the the way that I, I guess the family who grows this particular chocolate actually offers their own cacao ceremonies. They're an indigenous tribe in Costa Rica. And I may be getting this wrong. Mm -hmm. I want to say it's something like the Bribri tribe. I don't know if you've heard yeah. of them. But, um, but it essentially came down to their growing practices and how they would sing to the chocolate as they were growing it and the different ways that they would harvest it and, and really go into that intentionally and mindfully. And I think that that's something that's really hard to probably convey on a label, but also something that is maybe hard to really infer without directly connecting with these companies. Mm -hmm. And so it's just kind of like you said, this bigger picture of like how we're sourcing everything in our lives and whether we know the stories behind it and how much research or, you know, work, if you want to call it that we're willing to put into the process to really understand what we're ending up with on mm -hmm. the consumer end of things. And, you know, sure. Like I hear you saying like, I don't want to call it junk chocolate, but you know, <laughs> there is, there's a lot that's out there. And I feel like unless people, uh, taste a chocolate bar, like you make, um, that they may not really have a super full understanding of what chocolate is, because especially here in the US, I know like we've grown up with all these different holidays where we receive all these different chocolate goodies and bars and, you know, egg shaped chocolates and rabbit shaped chocolate, you know, mm -hmm. all these different things, but so many of them are, are actually mostly sugar and not yeah. actually a whole lot of cacao. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, tasting a bar like yours is a very different experience and mm -hmm. your bars are rich and they're flavorful and they have a, a bit of that bitter bite to them too, which a lot of people don't even associate with chocolate necessarily because they just think chocolate is always going to taste sweet. Sweet. Yes. 
So I think that's, I think that's really interesting. Um, but I do find chocolate to be really heart opening in the experiences that I've had with it. And, you know, sometimes if you eat too much chocolate, you can also notice how it affects your heart because your heart might speed up, you know, it's a little faster, Yes. Um, you know, and I know that I, I'm not actually a hundred percent, maybe you could clarify this for me, but does chocolate itself, I know that there's a constituent called theobromine that is maybe somewhat similar to caffeine, but not yes. the same thing. Um, but does chocolate actually contain any caffeine at all? Or does that happen with or without the roasting process? Or what do you know about that? So I believe that there are slight traces of caffeine. The main ingredient that's going to give you the effects that are like caffeine are the theobromine. So um, those are what give us the, the heart opening. And um, it, again, like you said, if you eat too much, it will get your heart racing. And I've also, um, it's so interesting. So I will make hot chocolate, especially during the cold months. Um, I would have friends in here and we'd test out recipes for like hot chocolates. And I would do not even that much of the, just the 100% I called my naked bar, which is literally just chocolate with no sugar or anything in it. Um, and I would add just a little bit of cayenne to it and a little bit of cinnamon. And I would just sip on it and it almost, and it's so crazy to say this because, but it's so true. It almost made me feel like I was floating, like literally just those like couple sips of the, like literally no sugar, just the, the cacao with the cayenne and a little bit of cinnamon. And I felt this instantaneous burst of energy. One of the things I'm very scientific, I like to learn, I'm kind of that, like I'm in the middle of like the science and the spirit. I feel like what was happening in that effect, whenever we're adding cayenne specifically to chocolate, is it literally is heart opening. It dilates our blood vessels. So when you have these two things together, it's like a big burst of dilating your blood vessels and you get like this burst like of blood going through your body, which gives you these euphoric effects. So um, I think that it is good for people who need like kind of a cleaner burst of energy, like something that's going to help open their arteries and open their heart, um, who don't want to necessarily reach for a cup of coffee. So um, yeah, that's just from my personal experience. And it like makes sense where I'm like, oh my gosh, this, this is what they talk about. This is that experience where, you know, you just get that like euphoric feeling from chocolate and that cayenne and these like special herbs that are going into chocolate which the first initial recipes for chocolate were all medicinal. So they weren't to necessarily enjoy. And they had like chocolate recipes, which were all drinks. Like whenever they first started making chocolate, um, they were all almost, all of them ceremonial. And they all had really kind of we what we would consider weird stuff thrown into their formulations for whatever purpose they needed for um healing, whatever they were healing. So <laughs> it's um, interesting. Yeah, definitely. And who would have thought that chocolate started out as, you know, somewhat of a medicine or, or therapeutic, you know, substance rather than a confection, which is what we, most of us know it as today. Yeah. Um, and definitely I've had chocolate with cayenne before too. And I've had like sipping chocolate with cayenne. I've had ceremonial chocolate with cayenne and it does, it really has this like 
it just opens you up. And like you said, it gets the blood going, which of course, you know, if we're referring back to Chinese medicine, again, we know that that opens up the chi and it allows the chi to move more frequently if we've had stagnated energy or anything, you know, of that sort. So it's such a great point and, um, and such an interesting experience too, to really, to really tune into how it affects us, you know, on a different level, on a physical level, on even a spiritual level, which people may not associate with chocolate, but it's a real thing. And, um, I wonder too, since, you know, I love this aspect of you kind of walking these, walking this line between the two worlds of science and spirit, because I very much consider myself to be in in the same sort of boat. I have a very science heavy background. My degree is in science. I had to take all these labs in college, you know, all that sort of stuff. And, um, and when I started out my studies in herbalism, I was very like, I need to know the science. I need to know that show me the studies, show me this, show me that. And then as as I continued my studies into the plants, I realized that there's this whole other level of understanding. And like you said, you know, going back to not only the plants roots, but the traditions of the people who were originally working with these plants, the indigenous people who first, you know, who we have so much of so much gratitude we owe to them for opening all of us up to these different aspects of plants and how to work with them, because they're really the ones that, that first noticed this. And I've heard a lot of the stories come from them noticing how the animals worked with the plants. And so it's this whole lineage, you know, and um, so getting back to the, the science aspect of it, I, I've also heard of this constituent called anandamide that essentially is considered the bliss molecule. And that this is something, actually when I was working with, um, I know I reached out to you and I was making CBD chocolates with a company that I was working with. And we noticed that when you combined CBD with chocolate, you know, even though there were no psychoactive effects from the CBD because they didn't contain the Delta 9 THC and all of that, we, we noticed a major physiological and spiritual response to the combination of these two plants. And so I wonder if you can speak to that at all, or if you've had any experience or if you've heard of anandamide or what you might know about it. Um, and I just, I think it's so cool that, you know, there's this chemical that literally exists in chocolate that is known to induce a state of bliss. (laughs) I, I've heard of that before. I haven't really done a lot of research on that, but it's an interesting point you're talking about with CBD because I feel like it almost happens. I feel like that's why I'm drawn to do my herbal infusions with my chocolate because it's almost like kind of like with the cayenne and the effect that you're getting with cayenne and chocolate because there are so many chemical constituents in chocolate when you're infusing chocolate with these different herbs and being and allowing people to try their chocolate. And I always say it's whatever calls to you. So I have all of the different herbs that, you know, on my shelf and people look at them and they're like, I don't know what to get. And I'm like, well, it's whatever is calling to you is what you want. And, um, I really truly do believe that depending on what I infuse into these different chocolates, it's going to affect people differently and it's going to get like essentially I always say I'm I'm hiding people's medicine through chocolate. So it is that's that's something that really um and CBD is one of my favorite like I I love CBD myself. So 
Um, I do truly believe in the medicinal con the constitutions of these different plants and how they're working along the side of cacao. So yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> yeah, what a beautiful combination, right? Um, and that actually, I just had this light bulb moment as you were talking about that and how like the strawberry and the Tulsi really called to me and you just somehow knew that, you knew that that was gonna be the case. Um, but I remember learning a few years back, there's a conference that happens every year in Asheville. It's put on by the Organic Growers School. And I don't know if you've heard of this conference, but uh, they have different tracks. And so a lot of times they talk about soil science and they talk about farming and animal husbandry and all these different things. But they've also incorporated an herb track. And there was a woman who was doing some research at the University of Georgia and she has done all this research on the different, uh, I guess, subspecies of Tulsi or holy basil. And she actually, I don't think she was the one that discovered this, but in her presentation, she was talking about how Tulsi actually has some of the same constituents as CBD. And there's this one in particular that I believe I remember it was called beta caryophylline and that it's kind of like this overlap so that you know, I don't know if you've heard of this, but there are also other plants that don't necessarily mimic CBD, but that have these different constituents that fit into our endogenous cannabinoid receptors in our body. So Tulsi is one of them, and it actually kind of plugs into a CBD receptor in our body, an, an endocrine, you know, a cannabinoid receptor within our body. And um, I believe chocolate is one of those as well. So we have these receptors and they're like, all these different plants are all these different keys that kind of fit into the same lock. And something about that is just mind blowing and beautiful to me on so many different levels that we can discover these different synergistic actions of the plants working together to induce some sort of reaction when we consume them. I agree. I actually was having a conversation with somebody not too long ago and they said the same thing about hops and that they were trying to pull the chemical constituents of hops that were related to CBD and using hops instead of cannabis for pulling out CBD. And I'm like, oh, that's fascinating. I don't know much about that, but it's something to look into. So, that's but super yeah. Cool. And hops are in the same family as cannabis yes. too, yeah. right? So yeah. you can kind of see how, you know, they're like cousins maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's actually what I call hops when I had a podcast I was on with a, somebody who um, focuses on beer. And I said that, you know, I'm like, well, hops is the cousin of cannabis. And I'm like, oh gosh, I hope that they don't take, you know, like, <laughs> I hope you don't judge me for knowing that, but so, yeah, but it is, it is really, it's, um, I mean, plants are amazing. They're all like, it's like human beings, you know, we're all interconnected and, you know, plants are kind of the same and how as all part of nature, we're all working together. And it's just super fascinating. It really is. And it's like, we're all mirrors of each other in this, in this way, in some, you know, in some fashion or another. So um, I want to talk a little bit about your process and I know that your chocolates, you consider to be, you call them bean to bar, which I love because it's like the farm to table movement. And it's this, it's like a really legitimate, you know, you're not just taking this, you know, quote junk chocolate or, you know, whatever we want to call it. You're not just taking a bunch of GMO sugar yeah, and blending yeah. it in with, you know, this random cocoa powder that you found somewhere on a shelf, you know? Yes. So tell us a little bit about what bean to bar means and what that process looks like for you. 
So most people see the word, you know, chocolate or somebody that's making chocolate and they assume that it's melting and pouring chocolate. So what I do is I do melt and pour my chocolate sometimes, but what happens through the bean to bar process is I get 120 pound sacks of my cacao beans. I always, um, I always get my beans from Central and South America just because I truly do believe that the, the soil, the elevation, everything about that region is where beans should grow. That's where they're known to have grown um, originally. That's where we trace our cacao back to when we look at history of cacao. So I do truly believe there's something special about that region for getting cacao. So my main bean right now is from Belize and it's just because um, I really love the flavor of the bean of the chocolate that I'm getting from there. Um, I like to do different origins sometimes also. So for the holidays, I did a four pack of different, four different origins of my bars. Um, so I believe it was Honduras, Guatemala, Ecuador, and then my Belize. So my, my main bean comes from my 120 pound sacks. I do the roasting of them myself in my shop. Um, so roasting is where you get the best smell. So my shop always smells the best whenever I'm roasting. I tell people that they're like the lucky customers of the day if they walk in while I'm roasting. Mm, yum. After, <laughs> after I roast my beans, they have to cool. And then they go through a machine that's called a winnowing machine. I used to do all of this by hand. So I would literally crack. Well, I, I have to crack open my beans first. So. Um, I used to crack open my beans by putting them in a Ziploc bag and I would hit them with a uh, rolling pin. Now I use a champion juicer to crack open my beans, which I'm about to upgrade in my equipment, which is super exciting as I'm watching my business grow. Um, but right now I just put them through the juicer. It cracks open my beans. Once the beans are cracked open, I take them to my winnowing machine that has basically a, set, a shop vac that does a vacuum suction. It sucks the shell into a bucket and then the nibs crack are cracked and put into um, a bowl. So essentially what we're needing are our nibs. And with all of our leftover of our shells, we sometimes donate our shells to community gardens because the cacao shells or the husks are really good fertilizer. And they're also really good for making a cacao tea so a lot of people really love the husks because it makes a really chocolatey tea. Whereas the, I found the cacao nibs itself, whenever I use it for a tea, almost creates more of like a bitter type tea. So it gives the hints of the cacao, but it's not the same as the husk, which is really interesting. So we do sell our cacao husks for tea. A lot of times I like to give them away to our local community gardens to put into their farm, like their, their gardens for fertilizer. Um, after we get our husks, I have to pre-grind our nibs, which help our grinders. So it's not so hard on the stones to grind. So I pre-grind all of the nut, all of the nibs. They go into our machine. The machine grinds our chocolate anywhere between 24 to 48 hours. Um, that's going to help break down the particle size of the chocolate. It also is going to help the flavor. So, um, that when you loosen the tension of your wheels where they're just like circulating the chocolate, that's also, that's called conking. And that helps to refine your flavor to where you want it to be. So after I pour that chocolate, that is the point where most,
those chocolate make chocolatiers get their chocolate. So at that point, that's going to be chocolate paste. So um, a lot of times, if you do uh, straight chocolate, it's really, really bitter. So I always say that my chocolate is not bitter because um, our base chocolate is an 80%. The average grocery store 80% is really bitter to most people. Having a really good flavored bean and having a good sugar, which we use in evaporated cane juice, and it comes from Colombia, it comes from a sustainable farm, I believe that our sugar actually adds to the sweetness, like it almost adds like a sweeter taste. So the proper roasting brings out sweetness, the really good sugar, and then also just um, the really good bean is what makes really good chocolate, in my opinion. So, and also the love and the care and the small batches and like being able to really take that love into your chocolate is what makes it so good. And, you know, I can totally vouch for that with your chocolates because- <laughs> When I got your chocolates in the mail and I opened the first bar, which again was the strawberry Tulsi because I couldn't help myself. <laughs> um, I saw that it was 80%. I was like, wow, 80% chocolate. Like that's pretty dark, you know? And I am used to an 80% tasting pretty bitter. And sometimes it's an enjoyable bitter. And sometimes it's like a, not something I'm super craving in the moment, you know? Um, but I definitely noticed with yours that even having such a high, actual cacao content that it there's like a smoothness mm -hmm. um to that rich taste you know it it feels like it just kind of rounds it out like it's really well rounded it's not it's not an attack on your palate you're not like oh whoa wait what is this that i'm eating like it it really um yeah it really speaks to your process and i'm just super amazed it sounds like from what you're explaining to me and you're totally self-taught for the most part. Like, you <laughs> I am chocolate school. You didn't like no. apprentice with Willy Wonka, like no, any things. no, That's no. Amazing. And I think, I think my palate coming from the coffee world has really helped. Um, and I'm just grateful for having a good palate to begin with because I've worked with food almost my whole life. My, my great grandma worked my great grandma owned a truck stop in Indiana and my mom was pretty much raised in that truck stop making like home cooked foods. So as I was being raised, I remember just being in the kitchen with my mom cooking and baking. And my dad was the one who was always into the spices. And so he would make like the super spicy chilies. We would do a lot of canning. I grew up where we can all of our tomatoes and so I really take a lot of my, what I know for food from my upbringing of just being surrounded by really good food all the time. And so transitioning into coffee, learning about the different beans, learning about the different flavors. And I'm, I've always drank black coffee and I think my mom, and again, it's interesting as a chocolate person, my mom drank black coffee. So when I started drinking coffee, and again, I don't do dairy, so I just naturally kind of fell into like, I'm going to drink black coffee too. So the bitterness for me has always just kind of been in my palate. And then learning about like different beans of coffee, um, transitioned into learning about the different beans of cacao and how every bean has a different flavor. So it's interesting, like when I think about the grocery store chocolates, there was one chocolate that I had. And it's interesting because the chocolate that I'm speaking of was a wild harvested bean from, um, I want to say Bolivia. 
And um, these beans were so teeny tiny and beautiful and delicate, but they gave like the, the, the bean itself, like the chocolate was so earthy and in, I like, don't want to discredit the chocolate, but it took me back to my childhood to almost like when I tried cocoa puffs for the first time, it was like that cocoa, what I remember as like just that earthy cocoa flavor, that's almost where this chocolate took me back to. So I feel like for whatever reason that we're getting this grocery store chocolate that's take you know, that bitterness and like whatever bean they're using, they're all just, I don't know if it's a cheap bean or if it's like all kind of the same type of region that they're getting these beans from. But I feel like a lot of it, again, the roasting process, but the bean that they're using is creating the flavor of the chocolate. So unfortunately, a lot of really large brand name chocolate companies get their chocolate from Africa. And um, the African chocolate is, um, I'm very much an advocate against speaking out against child labor and like what's happening with these large companies that are producing chocolate from Africa. And uh, I always say too, I'm like, I can't, how do you produce that much chocolate or cacao to be able to sustain Hershey's? And, you know, it just kind of hit me where I'm like, oh, it's because they hardly use any chocolate in their chocolate, I guess. <laughs> you know? Like you're not using much and it's all fillers. But that's something else I think about as a plant person is how are we sustaining like this much cacao to support these ginormous corporations that are producing chocolate in Europe? Because Europe is a huge chocolate industry. So and so, yeah, it's something else that we have to as consumers think about. Uh, that care about plants, like how are we supporting these companies? Yeah, that's such an important uh, question, you know, that we can continually ask, like we said earlier, and anything that we're sourcing, whether it's our food or our herbal medicines and our chocolates too. And, and, you know, saying what you're saying here about how all of these sort of larger chocolate companies have this similar note or flavor and I think that that probably does speak to the fact that, you know, these larger corporations are often sourcing from one central source or one local source where there's not a lot of variance and probably not a lot of, you know, thought and consideration put into where these, you know, where these plants and beans are coming from. Um, so definitely, you know, please people you know, ask where your chocolate's coming from, yeah. buy from people who are doing bean to bar whenever possible, support the small businesses, which is becoming even more and more important as, mm -hmm. as you and I both know. I think it's really uh, interesting too, that you were talking about the soil and the elevation in the different regions where the chocolate is grown or where the cacao is grown and kind of relating that to coffee, because we all know that coffee comes from very similar regions as well. Mm -hmm. And it made me think about with my own experience in um, the food and service industry and working with wines, how with wines, they talk about the terroir, which is just exactly what you're saying with the different uh, subtleties that can come through based on soil and weather and elevation and, you know, the land itself and how the land can end up speaking through these plants and that it comes through in this particular way where we taste it. And we don't always know what that difference is or why it's there, but oftentimes it's these subtleties that are picked up from the region in which these plants are grown. And I love that. It's just one other aspect. It's just like 
more um, charisma and characteristics coming through about each and individual, you know, each and every plant that we consume or, you know, chocolate bar or coffee or wine or whatever the case is, that there are all these different nuances. And um, I also love that. I think I didn't know that about the husks being good for fertilizing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's really fascinating to me, but I love the cocoa or the cacao husk tea. I actually had it for the very first time when I was on my first trip to Peru about, um, gosh, I guess that was about six years ago now, Um, six or seven years ago, I was down in Peru. And of course, Peru is also known for its chocolate, um, particularly in the more jungly regions, which I haven't traveled to, but um, I've spent a lot of my time in the mountains in the Sacred Valley of Peru. And they still have these cacao museums all over. So like Cusco and Ollantaytambo and some of the other places that I go to, they have these cacao museums where you can take tours, you can learn about the different processes, you can learn about the plant. And then, you know, the bonuses, you get to taste all these different things. And they have chocolate wines and chocolate sauces and jams. And, um, you know, if you are a chocolate holic, it's definitely a place that you want to visit. But I took home some of the husks. And I had never consumed chocolate in that way. I didn't know anything about it, but I love that you get that flavor and you get the notes of the chocolate without it feeling super heavy or super rich. That It's almost this, you know, different interpretation of it. And I also tried some of your chocolate teas and, oh my gosh, I am so in love with your chai. I made it last week and um, the immunity chai, right? It's an yeah, immunity. Yeah. I made it last week and I was halfway through brewing it when I realized that I didn't have any, I don't drink dairy either, but I usually drink oat milk or coconut milk. Um, especially I use coconut milk a lot if I'm making like a hot chocolate or something. Mm-hmm. And, and if I'm making a chai, I usually mix in some sort of creamy component. And I was halfway through brewing when I realized I was completely out. Like I didn't do a grocery store trip last week and I had no creamy like substance at all to use. And I was like, oh, well, this is going to be weird. So (laughs) I add it not because of it's yours, but I just never have to try without any sort of like, you know, creamy dairy type thing in there. Um, but it, it wasn't weird at all. Like I put just a teeny dollop of maple syrup because that's my favorite sweetener to use. And I did just a tiny bit of maple syrup and I actually iced it because it was like a rare 70 Ooh. degree day that we had um, in early March. And it was so delicious. I took, my husband was on a Zoom call and I took a, a cup into him and I was like, you got to try this. And <laughs> I could like hear him on his Zoom call and he's like, oh man, I'm tasting this chai. It's so good. <laughs> Um, but it was, it was amazing. And I was actually really surprised at how much I loved it without having any sort of creaminess in there. It just translated so well. And like all the flavors were just wonderfully blended. So I really appreciate that. And I love that you save your husks and that you do so, you know, multiple different things with them. Um, you know, making more products, there's no, there's like no waste in that, you know, and that it can be used in in the ground and the earth around you and giving it back to the land. And I think that that's such a beautiful part um, of your process. And just seeing that you truly are bean to bar and back around, like you're, yes. you're really, you're really doing the whole process. And I just find that fascinating and um, really inspiring too. So um, in these last few minutes, I wanted, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned before, and I think I saw a post that you had on a monthly chocolate club that you're offering. 
Um, I would love to hear more about this. So our monthly subscription club is essentially you're getting three really discounted bars of chocolate and we do a bar of the month, which you automatically get the bar of the month. And it's basically whatever just creative spark comes to mind. And I usually try to use something that is seasonal for the, um, and I'm in Florida. So um, our seasons are a little bit different, but I think that's what makes my chocolate so unique is because people are going to try flavors that they may not necessarily know what they are. So um, you get your seasonal bar and then you also get two of our classic bars that you may not necessarily know what they're going to be because I choose them. So you get surprised with three, well, surprised with two bars and then your bar of the month. So um, for example, our bar of the month for March is a nasturtium and cashew. So um, I wanted to do loquats, which we are heading into loquat season right now and they're just not quite right at their peak. So um, we may do a loquat bar for April. It all depends on how many I could get my hands on. But I was able to get nasturtiums from my local farmer Unfortunately, I'm not able to use plants that I grow myself into my products because um, as a retail, as a manufacturer, I'm just not allowed to do that. But my local farmer was able to get me enough nasturtiums, um, which are edible flowers, and um, they are actually a little bit spicy. So I dehydrated them, and they're going to be ground and put into my next batch of chocolate, um, and that's going to be our bar of the month for this month. Um, and nasturtiums are traditionally, you see them filled with cream cheese. So that's kind of like the flavoring of what people use nasturtiums for. Other than salads, you can actually use the leaves of nasturtiums and salads. You see the flowers a lot in salads. Um, so nor normally they are, that's where you see them. They're really beautiful, beautiful flowers. Um, and their leaves are really hearty. So, um, yeah, it's just something that when I come up with my flavors of the month, it's just whatever I think about what we have growing at the time. And so obviously February, we in Florida are in strawberry season. So that's where the strawberry came to mind. And I usually like, it's interesting when I come up with flavors because they just have to come to me and I just kind of sit on it. And so I knew I wanted to do strawberry and I'm like, strawberry, strawberry, what goes with strawberry? And so I have to kind of like smell like just kind of like instinctually, I think of like different herbs or I think of different plants and what the smells would be. And um, I think that's where it took me a while to get like the Tulsi to come through. And then one day it just kind of hit me. I'm like, Tulsi, I'm going to do strawberry and Tulsi. So um, it's kind of the same with the nasturtium where I'm thinking like spice, you know, like what goes with spice? Like I know people connect spice with like chai, but you know, I don't want to do something like chai what can I do with chai and I'm like well cashew is kind of like that creaminess like a cream cheese like what we what we normally think of like as that like alternative for people who are vegan which all of my products are vegan so that's also part of my enjoyment of making my creations of being able to uh, make things that we normally find comfort in but doing it in a healthier way that everybody can have um, so that is the bar of the month for this month you basically go online there's on ratsachocolate.com, there's a link that says some, the monthly subscription and you can sign up. You could do it just for one month. You can continue it after you get your box and be like, wow, I love this. I want it every month. And then it will just do your monthly subscription. Um, the cutoff is the 15th. 
I always say that my shipments go out the Tuesday after the 15th of the month. So you just have to make sure that you sign up by the 15th and then the 16th on the boxes get mailed out the Tuesday after. And then um, obviously people who are local can come into the shop and pick it up and they don't have to pay for shipping. So unfortunately our shipping is a little bit expensive, but um, there's just really no way I found to be able to get around to do cheaper shipping. We do um, insulated boxes and ice packs in most of the months. I got away with being able to send pretty shipments out for holidays because it wasn't 75, 80 degrees in Florida. So most of the time I do have to do insulation. So part of that cost of shipping includes making sure your chocolate gets there and not melted. So, well, it's totally worth it. I can, I can <laughs> say that for sure. Um, and I love the idea of the monthly chocolate box. Um, it seems like it would be a really good gift idea for a lot of people. You could gift it to someone and it's just, it's almost like being on in this inner circle where you're, where, you know, if you're part of the monthly chocolate club, you get to taste all the different flavors and all the new creations and, you know, these beautiful combinations that you're dreaming up. So I really love that idea. Um, if people want to learn a little bit more about what you're doing and they want to buy some chocolates, they want to join your monthly chocolate club, uh, what's a good place for them to find you? Um, go to my website at www.ratzachocolate.com. And my last name is spelled R-A-T-Z-A. So like the animal, the rat and za, Z-A, rat za. So that is my last name. That is not something I made up. Um, and yeah, I'm on Instagram. I usually like to do uh, mostly my Instagram where I keep my updates. You can see how I make chocolate. You can see any kind of fun things I'm doing. That's my main source of social media is Instagram. Awesome. Well, thank you, Sarah. There's one last question that I want to ask you, and this is one I think I'm going to start incorporating into the podcast. And at the beginning of the podcast, I mentioned that um, my one of my intentions is to have this be a show that really nourishes people on some level. And so I wonder if there's anything right now, just the first thing that maybe comes to mind for you, like what's nourishing you right now on any level? It can be mind, body, spirit, soul. Um, yeah. What's speaking to you right now? What's coming through for you in this moment? Um, I think that right now, I think what is nourishing me is sharing my passion and my education of plants with other people, especially in my little town that I'm in. I think that I always get the question of, you know, me wanting to perfect my craft in chocolate. And I don't get as excited about learning chocolate techniques as I get about learning more about plants. So um, just really absorbing myself more in the plant world and being able to share that with other people in my local community and as well as anybody that wants to know more about how to incorporate plants in their foods, not even specifically with chocolate, but just being able to use it in your cuisine um, that's what really, I think, is what drives me and what um, keeps me going every day. Beautiful. And I love that you're also able to blend that into your chocolates and speak about them all together. So it's it's so nice that you can have both of those pieces and that you can incorporate them when, when you want to and when it makes sense for you and whoever your audience is. So thank you so much for being on the show today, Sarah. I've really enjoyed talking to you and learning more about your process. 
And I'm definitely going to enjoy eating more of your chocolate bars and <laughs> to spread the word so that other people can also experience this beautiful, botanical, blissful journey of chocolate that you've created. So thank you again for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Sage and Spirit. You can download more episodes and subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform, such as Apple or Google Podcasts. For more show notes and guest information, visit dancingsagewellness.com. Until next time, take care and be well.